0: What's up, Epic? Yeah. All right, let me tell you a story. When I go home in the evenings, I love to play with my daughter. She's three. And we play this game where we like chase each other. And, and sometimes it's different things. It's like, you're a shark, and I'm a lion. And we like chase each other around, and we play hide and seek. And we, we dance all the way around. And so it was a week ago. I, I've, I, I can replay this memory in slow motion. And I'm there, and it's like we're playing around. And I'm like, oh, no, you're going to get me. And she's like, I'm going to kill you. Ah! And i just like, I'm going to kill you, my little girl? Now, to this date, the only things that have ever come out of her mouth are the things that we taught her and told her. And this is the very first thing. And when you pick up different things that, like, they they learn or you know manners, and she's like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, she'll say things like that. Oh, that's cute. She gets that from us. And and so, here's the first time. It's like, we didn't teach her that. And she's been going to preschool, and so natural, like, we just fall the dots. Like, we don't know people who play around saying, "I'm gonna kill you" and like run after you, <laughs> like. We had better friends than that, but obviously some other boy, I'm presuming, or some some other child was playing a game, probably had no idea what they're saying, and so when she saw the look on my face, she just crumbled and just instantly just bawled. She had no idea what she was saying, and it totally hurt my heart. It's like, oh my gosh, like, sweetie, we don't say that. You You don't know what you're saying, but it's okay. You just didn't know what you're saying, and that's what it's like with the will of God is I've stood around and I've, I've watched close friends get cancer and say, this is God's will for my life. I've watched my uh, college pastor, who probably had the biggest impact in my life, his six-year-old daughter develops a tumor, a cancer, and everyone's talking about how it's God's will. I watch people how they have breakups, they lose jobs, they have disease, and they say, God, you have a will in this, and it's your will, and I just accept it. I'm watching all this death and destruction, and all the time we see people say, But it's God's will for my life. And they roll over and they just say, It just gives me peace, knowing it's God's will. I watch my mentor develop a brain tumor, say, I'm at peace because it's God's will, it's being done. And that set me on this journey of curiosity that, like, there has to be something more than this about the will of God. Can this really be true that the will of God is something that destroys people, kills people? I was in a debate this past week. If you know me, I love Facebook debating. I really don't, but I find myself in them a lot. And so the topic of the goodness of God came up. And so I asked, like, can you explain to me the Holocaust? Where was God's will in that? He's like, We get into this philosophy, right? Well, we have things we don't understand. I don't get what there's not to understand about people exterminating other people. Tell me where God's will is in that. And it drove me nuts. And the goodness of God in my life was at stake. I either have to believe God is really good and I have to take all this other stuff or I have to believe that something else is real about the will of God. And so about two years ago, I went on this hunt for the scriptures It was like I've sat through so many sermons, so many messages. I've sat through messages on the will of God, and there wasn't a single verse about the will of God. It's kind of weird. When we talk about the will of God, we get a lot of theory. We get a philosophy. We get a lot of proof texts. We get these different things. And so I went on this journey, and it's really difficult because depending on the translation you read, sometimes it says will of God and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's the authors trying to infer things. But I want to go on a search for the Greek. I want to go on the search for the actual meanings, where this is said and mentioned, what's the context. And so with that, I find that I want to share. What I want to do is I want to like give you a verse. I actually want to give you all of them. The only way to shed light on something is actually I want, to, I want to give you a 360 degree that you actually, tonight, I'm going to go briefly as I can and clearly as I can, is I want to show you every single passage on the will of God. And this pattern emerged. It just illuminated for me. When I finally spent all this time researching to find it, I, it came just like almost a light bulb on. And it was crazy. But the things I hear, the things that are like It's impossible to be outside of God's will, right? I mean, these things, almost like my little daughter, she picks up and she hears because it's always been that way. Like we say things, we don't even know what they mean, but because we heard them. And so things like, well, if it's God's plan, there's nothing you can do to be outside of it. I was in that boat. How about if it's your will, Jesus, would it succeed? I started a technology nonprofit that helped Christians if there was not another business that God would want to succeed, I don't know what else there is. We raised, maybe we raised a half a million dollars. Started a nonprofit, this global, it's like translated languages. And we're like, we'd come and pray, Jesus, if it is your will, let it succeed. And we thought, it's about Jesus, it's building people. How could God not be for it? And it failed. So, does God not want this amazing technology to go? I don't know, I was challenged. But we see and hear these things, that all, it's all part of God's plan. So I've just been immersed in this subject. And I've been studying it. So. Let me take you on a journey for this. And let me disclaim first that this is what we know from the scriptures. I'm going to answer everything according to the scriptures. I'm going to do very little talking tonight. Let the scriptures do the talking. I'm just going to show you patterns and synthesize it. But what I'm not talking about tonight is because I believe that we hear the voice of God. Amen? If you're in Christ, you hear God's voice. This is not a dictation about what God says to you or how you dialogue with God. I'm not making any mention about what God says or does not say to you. So don't take my words here. I'm just saying when we look at the scriptures and we look at the explicit, known, active, documented, doctrinal will of God, what is that? That's what I want to show you tonight. Is Is that okay? All right. The very first mention of the will of God in the entire Bible is Exodus 18, and it's Moses, and it says, "The people come to me to seek God's will." <clears throat> the very first mention of God's will is people being confused about it. How about that? <laughs> now, the very first recorded that we know in the universe of God exercising His will is Revelation 4: You created all things because your will they existed. So we know that God actually designed creation. He wanted it to exist. We're not by accident. And so that's pretty straightforward. <clears throat> but what about the will of God that applies to Christians? Can we actually know it? What does the scripture say about can we know? I, I heard all the time, well, we can't really know the will of God. That was like one of those things that scared me. We really can't know the will of God? Really? That's, that's not possible? No. It's a mystery. The will of God is a total mystery. We'll never know. God works in mysterious ways. That's not a passage in the Bible either, in case you're wondering. Can we know it? Well, Paul in Colossians 1 says, We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Romans 12 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Sounds like we're actually designed to know, test, and prove it. Paul gives a warning about the will of God, he says, So then, and this is Ephesians 5, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus talks nonstop about that he came to do the will of God. Matthew 26 and Luke 22, yet not as I will, but as you will. John 4, my food, this is Jesus speaking, is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. John 5, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So here we have the, the story, the narrative of the will of God. It's defined, it's known. Paul's like, warn us, you better know what it is. So here's a few facts about the will of God it is mentioned 57 times in the Bible, Jesus himself mentions it 17 times. The Apostle Paul mentions it 24 times. Peter mentions it six times. John mentions it two times. And James mentions it one time. And there's different passages here and there in Hebrews who we don't really know who wrote. And there are only five. There are only five explicit things that we can claim as the active, known, and supported will of God in the Scriptures. There's only five of them. The cross. Salvation. Salvation. Obedience, inheritance, and joy. The cross, salvation, obedience, inheritance, and joy. Those are the five things that all the verses of the will of God hinge on. Let's look at them. Number one, the cross. If you're wondering what is God's will, the cross is God's will. What does the cross mean? The cross means the reconciliation, redeeming the world, fixing what happened in the Garden of Eden, reconciling people to God's own heart. Isaiah 53.10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, speaking of Jesus, and it caused him to suffer, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, it's the Lord's will, it's the God the Father's will that Jesus would die on a cross. Matthew 11 and also Luke 10, No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And anyone to him the Son wills to reveal him. The cross was the greatest demonstration and the greatest public notice that God the Father is there and has sent his Son. John 6, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day, the cross. Galatians 1, Jesus, who gave himself up for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and the Father. Hebrews 10, then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Christ once and for all. The cross is the explicit known active will of God. Now Jesus takes a a, a turn. He doesn't even just mention that I came to do the will because Jesus mentions half the time that he's here to do the will of the Father. And then he talks about us Jesus talks about you knowing and doing the will of God. Check this out, Matthew 7. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 12 and Mark 3. For whoever does the will of my Father is in who is in heaven is my brother and and sister, and mother. John 9, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. John 7, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus talks about the will of God that you'd know it, and do it. This is actually where we get the doctrine that we can lose our salvation. Like, I didn't do the will of God, I'm going to hell. This is the doctrine that gets into the, God will cancel out your salvation if you do not obey. These passages that Jesus just spoke, like, riddled me with terror, because remember, at the heart of this is the fight for, is God really, really good? That's the linchpin in this dialogue. And so Jesus is saying this these are really high stakes, right? If you don't do the will of God, you're, you're not going to heaven. If you don't do the will of God, God doesn't hear you. These are high stakes. Now, aren't you just like, Jesus, stop with the parables and the inference? Will you stop hinting? Why? Why doesn't Jesus just come out and tell us what the will of the Father is, right? Like, gosh, why is he just hinting at it? Why doesn't he tell us? Have you ever looked? Apparently, it, it actually was there all along. It's John 6. Look at this. For this is the will of my Father. You can't know the, the will of God. You can't know. It's a mystery. Jesus, this is the will of my Father. Now, in the Greek, it doesn't know. Of course, it means that. It means that in every single translation of every language. Jesus is telling us, this is the will of the Father. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus spent half his time talking that he's only there to do the will of Father. and the second half of the time, he's talking about that, if you do the will of Father, which is salvation, you'll be saved. That's the second one, salvation. The will of God is salvation. Salvation is the will of God. John 1, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. 1 John 2, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Salvation. Salvation. 1 Peter 4, the gospel has for this purpose, that they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. 2 Corinthians 7, I now rejoice, for you are made sorrowful according to the will of God, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. The will of God is salvation. What is the will of God? It's a mystery. It can't be known. The will of God is that God's people are saved. The will of God is that there was a cross. The will of God is that you would believe in the cross and be saved. And so the redemption of the world through salvation is God's will. It's so important we get this. This hope, this gospel, this kind of concept, what happens then is that this then is commonly referred to also as the will of God. This is where it gets tricky. Because we, the, the early apostles, they didn't have the completed Bible. All they knew is like, God revealed himself and it was really cool. And now we're all saved and now we're just writing and we're like winging it. We're like going all places and we're, we're just, our minds are blown. And so they're like, this is the mystery that God's been talking about for thousands of years. And so what happens then is that then the will of God is synonymous for the gospel now. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 20, for I have not hesitated to, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Ephesians 1, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will, which is Jesus, which is salvation, which is the cross, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in them. Colossians 1, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, which is salvation, the hope of glory. Paul's very wordy. (laughs) 1 Peter 4, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. They don't live for flesh desires, but live for the redemption of souls. They live for salvation. They live for the cross. Colossians 4, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God. Salvation, redemption, that you'd stand firm in your salvation, mature and fully assured. Paul's own, when he was Saul, Saul to Paul, right? That's what his name changed. His own conversion is referenced in this way. Acts 22, brother Saul, receive your sight. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will. And to see the righteous one. And to hear words from his mouth. He's chosen you to know his will. To know what? The cross. And that Jesus saves. Paul references his own salvation in these exact terms five times. I'm going to give you one verse. <laughs> he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Remember, he wasn't a believer. He was a Pharisee. He was actually pretty a bad dude. He's like, I claim Jesus by my salvation. He says it five times in Colossians, Corinthians, a couple of times Ephesians, and 2 Timothy. The third, obedience to God's commands is the will of God. Obedience to God's commands is the will of God. Now, Jesus consolidated them all, right? He says, all the commandments... Live and die by love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, flesh, mind, spirit, Facebook account, and love your neighbours yourself. All the commandments. But obedience to the practical sides of what God wants us to live for and to preserve ourselves for, that is also the will of God. Look at this first Thessalonians four. It is God's will. Again, I don't get people who say we don't know what God's will is. It's in here all over the place. It is God's will. Does it get any more clear than that? It's God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctified, it means that we should be set apart, we should live righteously, that we should actually be in good behavior, possibly. <laughs> it says it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual morality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy. 1 Peter 2, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Ephesians 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart, which is to do right. 1 Peter 3, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than to do evil. He's saying do good, don't do evil. 1 Peter 4 again, therefore the... Those who also suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace equip you in every good thing. Every good thing to what? To do His will, working in us which is pleasing to His sight. Romans 2. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are essential, then do you preach that one shall not steal? Do you steal? Then do you say that one that should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? He's asking, you know the will of God to do right things. And he's asking, do you do wrong things? First Peter 5, shepherd the flock among you according to the will of God. Peter's actually repeating the command that Jesus gave to him. Remember, uh, he said, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And here Peter's like, the command of the Lord, feed the sheep. It's the will of God. First Corinthians 8, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us also, they're being obedient to God to serve and love one another. It's God's will that you love and serve one another and serve and love God. It doesn't get any more clear than this. And so according to your salvation, which is from the cross and from your obedience, from obeying Jesus, you are promised something that's also in God's will inheritance. You are promised rewards. How you live on this earth, it matters. Jesus says that as you live and as you obey, I store up crowns and jewels and treasures in heaven. It's called the bema seat of Christ. And so therefore, receiving rewards and inheritance is the will of God. That is the fourth thing. Hebrews 10 says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Ephesians 1, Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. The cross, salvation, obedience, inheritance. Ready for the last one? Joy. Joy and thankfulness is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does it get any more clear than that? Now that, that concludes, if you want to know what's the explicit, stated, doctrinal will of God, cross, salvation, obedience, inheritance, joy. Can't know the will of God. Can't know the will of God. Now, but what about all those verses in the Bible? It's like, who should I marry? What job should I do? What city should I live in? Should I have burritos or bacon? I don't know. What is God's will? Now, there's actually five instances in the Bible that kind of detail the will of God associated with what I call a conditional response based on the conditional will of God, which basically is like, God, if it's your will, do this conditional thing. Meaning that the outcome is dependent upon God wanting it to happen. And we we say this all the time. I've said it my entire life. God, if it's your will, do this. Every single time I pray for healing for someone, not anymore. It's like, God, if it's your will, heal this person. It's my gentle way of saying, I have no faith. I'm just confessing. You're just being silent. So, no, that was me. Like, I would say the will of God as a way to just, in the most righteous way, say, I have no faith. Well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. That is the most unfaithful thought you can have. Faithless thought you can have. Probably it's the better way to say that. So there's five instances. I'm almost done here. There's five instances where that kind of language is used. It's important to know that Jesus wasn't one of them. Four of the instances were Paul, one of them was James. In all five instances, they were dealing with the same topic. Are you guys okay? You guys with me so far? So there's five instances in the Bible where the inference of if it's God's will, then this conditional, if this happens, then this happens, right? They are Acts 18, but as he left, this is Paul, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Acts 21, then Paul answered, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's will be done. Romans 1.9, perhaps now at least by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Romans 15, I urge you, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers, highlight in Judea, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will. James 4, why do you even not know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. What does this mean? These five instances, four by Paul, one by James, what does this mean? Let's go back 2,000 years. If you are a dictator, a ruler, you are after killing every single person who's trying to spread Christianity. The number one thing that every ruler and every territory and every government was trying to do was to squash Christianity. Now, if you're going to squash Christianity, you need to go after Paul first. He wrote 80% of the New Testament, he was the most strategic person ever in the spread of the gospel. And James is Jesus' own brother. That's some tough shoes to follow. Paul and James, these two were some of the most wanted people in all the church. Every ruler, every government wanted them dead. Every single day, they had thousands, tens of thousands of people looking to kill them. And these guys, they knew the end of their life was death. They knew it was going to end up bad. It was going to be terrible. They knew there's no way they're ever going to like happily live after after. Ever after, you know, settle down with 3.5 kids, have the white picket fence. No, they, they knew this is not going to end good. And they yet still went on proclaiming, going to city after city, bringing in the churches, building churches. And so, as they say, if it's God's will for me to be there, what they're really saying is, if I, by some miracle of Jesus, wake up tomorrow and I'm not dead, I'll be there. That's what they're saying. Their life was hour by hour, minute by minute, am I going to be beheaded? executed, stoned, speared, filleted. Moment by moment, their life was in the balances. It's so key that you get this. As they use this, they're not saying, God, would you just, you know, give me a job, possibly. They're like, I'm not going to be alive tomorrow. If I happen to, I'll start to make my way there. Is basically what they're saying. But then we take that, and we forget all that context, like, God, if it's your will, man, can she just say yes to my dates? That'd be awesome. We put it in place and Jesus is like, oh, that's really cute. That has nothing to do with what they're saying. You know, he's he's given us grace, but we need to be enlightened to like, okay, they were using that because the other scriptures, this isn't in my notes, is Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it to all the glory of God. Whatever you do, work at it for, for God, not for men. It's not this one defined way. And so this asks the, the last question. Is everything that happens God's will? Do you guys want me to talk about this or should we be done? You guys want this? All right. I've given you all the passages of the will of God except for two. Can you believe that? You've actually just received 55 passages. I'm sorry to the PowerPoint master, Mike. I hope we can still be friends. Is everything that happens God's will? Can you go against God's plan? Does God get everything he wants or wills? We actually already know the answer to this if we were paying attention. Remember, the cross, salvation, obedience, inheritance, and joy. My son broke his leg yesterday. Do you think I'm like really joyful about that? Like now I'm okay, but in that moment, like someone heard me, like, I was like, dang it, no, that sucks. You know, like I can't believe it. You know, and so like, that didn't sound like rejoicing, did it? But the will of God says, rejoice in all things. And now I'm like better. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm better. How about obedience? Abstain from sexual immorality. Anybody care to get up and talk about how their dating relationships are going? I don't know about you. I better be careful here. I don't know about you, but let's just say I wouldn't want my relationships replayed. But it's the will of God that you abstain from any immorality whatsoever. And so if we ask the question is it impossible to go against God's will, we simply need to ask the question, have I ever been disobedient to God's word and God's command? Have I ever had a situation where I threw myself a pity party, where I felt sorry for myself, where I got angry, at God, where I shook my fist? All you need to do when you ask yourself, can I go against God's will? Is ask, how did I do in those times? but I don't want to just rely on that. Let's actually look at some other scripture because that's still a little bit of philosophy too, right? Well, it depends, you know, what's really sin and what's really not, you know? Like you can get in these nuances. How about this? Let's ask the question, what does God want? Are there passages that actually tell us what God wants? We saw all the passages of his will. How about what he wants? 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wanting for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Remember the first thing we talked about, the explicit will of God is what? Salvation. Jesus said, he said in the clearest terms, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him has eternal life. Here's a second to last will of God verse. It's Matthew eighteen fourteen. Look at this. Thus, it is not the will of your Father that anyone perishes. He's looking at children. So, if you believe, ah, oh, it's impossible to go against God's will, then you have a real problem with hell right now. Because God's saying, it's not God's will that any single person would perish, not one. And so if you stand like, no, everything's controlled and everything's forced, then you have a real big issue here because God's saying, like, it's, it's not my will. I don't want this to happen. And so we have to have that tough thing. It's like, wow, God, like, you, you desire salvation for all. And right here you tell us in black and white that it is not your will that anyone perishes. But look at the language that's used also. John 7 He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God. We've mentioned that earlier. Anyone who chooses. And nearly every single scripture talking about salvation starts with, whoever shall, to those who, if anyone, I stand at the door and knock, should anyone open the door. I mean, it's this choice-based salvation, right? What about, well, I can't go against God's plan. Maybe it's not God's will, but I can't go against God's plan. Everything happens for a reason. God has a great plan for me and I can't mess it up. I've been in that boat. Luke 7. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's plan for them. How about that? God is good all the time, wants every person to come to knowledge and relationship with them, and we have the opportunity to reject it, just like the Pharisees did. And so God has desires, but you know who else has desires? The devil. John 8 says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. We live in a society and world where we are competing to do the fathers of the, the desires of, of God, and we're competing to have the desires of the enemy. And so here's the final passage on the will of God. All 57. This is Matthew 6. Everyone actually knows this passage. It says, pray then this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about it. If everything that happened was God's will, why would Jesus need to pray for God's will to be done on earth? Wouldn't he just thank God like, Thank you, God the Father, that everything that happens around me on earth is exactly how you designed and are controlling it in heaven. That's how that prayer would sound. Instead, he's like, God the Father, please, would you have your will done on earth as it is in heaven? Now, here is where my my years of research, I finally connected the dots. I knew there was something in here. What on earth is significant about Jesus singling out earth and heaven? Not only do we have the knowledge of that Jesus praying that God's will would be done, not that it's always done, that it would be done, but he mentions something very specific. On earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to man. That's the parallel passage. Jesus in here is recognizing that there's a separation there's a difference between what happens in heaven and what happens on earth. And that's why Jesus can authentically pray, Jesus, send help. He's like, God, do something, please, here. Have your way as what you want in heaven. Would you see a way to make it happen here? And now all the language in which Jesus talks about us makes sense. I have given you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. You have authority. No authority will trample over you. In fact, you will trample over the darkness of the enemy. You have the mind of Christ. You are the collaborators and co-laborers with Christ. When we see this and we see that God is for us, not against us, and he's given the earth over to us and God's will is perfect and amazing. All the time we're like, holy cow. Amen. Whew. And now I feel I'm done. <laughs> I promise never, ever, 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 ever to use that much scripture in one message ever again. But here's why I went that route, is I actually want us to have the satisfaction of not knowing in these hidden verses and hidden theology, I wanted a concise theology for us to have faith in what the will of God was, the cross, salvation, obedience, inheritance, and joy. And understand these things. And so if we can latch on to this, if we actually can like take that, this helps us answer all the questions and all the mysteries of the confusing challenges like, well, God, are you in control? And what are you doing? He's like, I've given you authority. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me talk to you guys tonight.